0: Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. like I said earlier, uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the assistant pastors. I get the pleasure of overseeing Grace FM and media and different communications and websites and all that fun stuff. Um, But I get to share tonight uh, a special word, uh, this weekend, a special word with you. I actually got to share the second week of January last year, too, uh, when we were doing our, um, our series by faith or what was it? Into faith we go. Yeah, that's what that's what it was. I got to share the second one uh, during that series, and it just so happens that I get to share the second weekend again uh, of this month and of this year. And I'm excited because one, this, uh, this passage we're going to be in Haggai chapter one. Uh, you can see the title behind me: "Considering Our Ways." Uh, it came to me in my own personal devos, in my own time of study, uh, a little bit before this year began, in about mid December. And the Lord really just spoke to me that there were certain things I needed to set up as I jumped into a new year. There are certain disciplines I needed to start regularly doing in my life, not only to help me in my spiritual growth, but also to make me more usable uh, in the lives around me. So not just here vocationally in the church and ministry, but just in the people that I would meet on a regular basis. Um, I ended up going and taking a vacation uh, to California in uh, mid-December. I ended up going out for a couple weeks, and I, I remember a part of Um, a part of listening to the Lord, I, I usually have my scheduled vacation like very down to the day. Like I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure it's the most relaxing thing. I'm going to do everything I like. And the Lord really spoke to me like during that time I needed to wake up in the morning. I needed to ask him to fill me with his Holy Spirit and then put people on my heart to reach out to. And the first one to reach out or the first one to answer back would get my time that day. And it changed the whole trip. Like it was one of those trips that I I wish I I could share more with you, but that's not what the message is about today. But I share that to say that the Lord desires to do something in our life. And if we're not quick to listen, we're going to miss out on the blessings that the Lord desires to give us through that obedience. In Haggai chapter 1, the discipline of considering your ways or the discipline of considering our ways is something that's going to be mentioned twice in two different verses in chapter 1 of Haggai. This idea is as we live our lives to take some time and to look from the outside in, asking, Lord, is there something that may need to change? Are the decisions I'm making currently in my life the best decisions? How are these decisions working out for me? For Haggai and the people of Israel, to give you some context as you turn there, it's a small book, it's only two chapters. thought maybe we could teach the whole book, and I could say, hey, Dad, I taught a whole book while you were gone. It takes you years to get through one. But that was not from the Lord, and only one chapter uh, tonight. So we're going to finish half a book. Um, but in chapter one, to, to kind of give you the context and, and catch you up to where we're at, the people of Israel have been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. They are then uh, freed by Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, to go back and to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the city, rebuild specifically the temple. Um, Of the 2 million or so that were in Babylon in captivity, only about 50,000 took the call and went back home to start the rebuilding process. Of that 50,000, Ezra, uh, and a lot of what we're going to be reading today in Haggai chapter 1 is covered, uh, if you would like a larger perspective from Ezra chapter 3 to Ezra chapter 6 for future reading. But Ezra goes out and they start laying the foundation of the temple. Uh, Of course, like we learned last week, and as you well know, when we desire to live for the Lord, we often come up against opposition. Uh, The same was said for the children of Israel. As they put the foundation of the temple down, they were met with opposition from a group of people uh, that we hear from later in the New Testament called the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a group that were brought in by the Assyrians. Uh, When the Assyrians first conquered the land, they they would often remove the local people and they would replace the people uh, with a group from another conquered nation. And that would be the Samaritans. They ended up intermarrying with some of the Jews that were not taken captive, and thus became this mixed group that lived in the land and started populating the land. And when Ezra came back and started laying the foundation of the temple, they said, hey, we'd like to help. We'd like to offer our services. Uh, we have adopted your religious system. We have adopted the worship of Jehovah, your God. Now, the problem with their adoption of this was, although they adopted the worship of Israel's God of Jehovah, the one true God, they also worship many other gods. So he was one of many different gods that they worshiped. So Ezra, being the leader of the people, said, hey, I'm sorry, but you cannot help. Uh, You are not dedicated to our God as it needs to be in order for this temple not to be defiled. And he rejected their help, as he should. That enraged the Samaritans to where it says that they started to try and discourage the people. When that didn't work, they went to the royal court's of Persia, and they started uh, lobbying against the people, claiming that once they built the temple, it was going to be a rebellion. That's what these people did. Look at their history. They were successful, and they brought a halt to the rebuilding of the temple. Only the foundation was built. Fast forward now to Haggai chapter 1, or at the end of Ezra chapter 4, and 16, almost 17 years have taken place. At 536 BC was when the people went back home, laid the foundation of the temple. By 520 BC, we are introduced to this man named Haggai. The people of Israel had come to this place of being complacent. Uh, You could say that they had become apathetic. You know, you imagine the 50,000 that rose up and said, hey, we need to go home, it's time to rebuild. 16, 17 years later, the zeal is gone. Their desire, the the emotional high that they had has faded. And we're introduced to a group of people that have grown very comfortable in the lifestyle that they're currently living. But we know that God loves us. We know that he loves us today, and he loved his people back then. And he doesn't stop pursuing us, trying to grab our attention, especially when we're going in the opposite direction that he desires for our lives. That's where Haggai comes in, Haggai the prophet. Some believe his ministry was only three months long. And specifically to bring a stirring or a word of rebuke to the people of Israel. Now, rebuke, off of it, like it just has this connotation of being negative. Like, oh man, I don't like that word. It's not good. But I just want to be clear here. In order to be rebuked, first you have to be loved. Someone has to love you. One God has to love you. He has to be able to see the direction you're going in your life and say, I love you too much to continue that way. Two, usually you're rebuked by a person, sometimes by a message, sometimes by your own devo, sometimes by your prayer life, but usually it's someone who's close to you, who knows you a little bit better than the average person. Could be a spouse, could be a sibling, could be a coworker. could be a best friend, someone you do Bible study with or you used to do Bible study with that maybe you've kind of fallen away from a little bit. Rebuke has this negative connotation, but I want to bring it into a positive light. If you've ever been rebuked, you know how it stings. But I want to tell you, it also should remind you that you're very loved. You're loved by the Lord who doesn't want you to go in that direction. And you're also loved by the person who was called to do it for you. They risked a lot to rebuke you. They risked the relationship. They risked their comfort. It's a lot easier just to ignore it. And that might be a word for someone here today. You might be called to go to someone and to correct them in a loving way on behalf of God. That's what Haggai was called to do here in chapter 1. Haggai was called to come in and stir the people of Israel after 16 years of being caught in their comfort, being apathetic, lacking zeal, being complacent. So if you would pick up with me in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 5. Kind of caught you up to where we're at. People of Israel are about to hear from the Lord, as we are too. I'm going to set up my notes real quick. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? And here it comes in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. So right away, we're introduced to the problem. The problem is the temple has been lying in ruins for the last 16, almost 17 years. The reason for this is not because the people had forgotten, but we see it in this verse where they're corrected when asked about the temple, they're saying, well, it's just not time yet. Like, it's not the right time to build it yet. No, I don't have enough time yet. We're, we'll get there. It's just not the right time to build the Lord's house. I like Haggai because he's to the point. He comes in with a message from the Lord, and he goes straight for the heart. He says, you are making excuses on why you're not getting back to the temple. You see, it started off as a good reason, right? They were forcibly stopped by their ruling government that they could not build anymore. However, as time goes by and the governing ruling authorities changed, you don't hear from Israel fighting to rebuild the temple, because they have grown complacent, they have grown apathetic, they have grown comfortable. Instead, they begin to living. they begin to live under the excuse that it's just not the right time. They were no longer being hindered by outside forces. they were now being hindered by themselves. They were their greatest hindrance in obeying the Lord. But the Lord loving them knew it couldn't last that long, so he sent to them a prophet. He sent to them a messenger. He sent them someone who would stir them up into obedience. Here comes Haggai. Haggai then opens up and he says, instead, what you've been doing is you've been building your paneled houses and you've allowed this temple to lie in ruins in verse four. What's interesting here is the the term paneled houses. You know, in Israel, there's a lot of rock. Like, there is a lot of rock and stone. Many things in Israel are built out of rock and stone, even to this day. Back then, they used to have to import the wood, usually from Lebanon, in order to build things with wood, specifically things like the temple. Some scholars believe, some thought, would say they found this wood to panel their houses, to rebuild, to renovate their houses, from the wood that they were unable to use on the temple, that they purchased for the temple. God was specifically trying to hit them in a place where they would understand what they've been doing for the last 15, 16, 17 years has been in direct opposition to what God desired them to do in the first place when he first sent them home. In fact, they're using the very things that were supposed to be dedicated and sacred for the temple for their very homes. They'd allowed their comfort to take precedent of their lives. For you and I, it's important for us to realize that that same thing that has happened to Israel could also happen to us. And it does happen to us quite often, which is why I think, and I know I've been rebuked, and I would hope that everyone in this room has also experienced that wonderful discipleship moment. Because it's important for us to realize that the Lord desires his people to follow after him. And when he sees us going in a different direction, he's gonna do everything he can to bring us back. He's going to do everything he can to grab our attention, to stir us up, to wake us up to what's going on in our lives. And as we jump into this new year, 2021, as we have so much available to us, as we've just come out of quite a chaotic 2020 and even a chaotic first week of 2021, it's important for us to realize that there are aspects of our lives that are in our control. Those aspects, like what are we doing with the life that God has given us and the decisions that he's laid before us? Where does our focus lie? Have we, in verse five, like Ezra, or excuse me, like Haggai speaks to the people, Have we considered our ways? Have we taken a step back and asked ourselves, what am I doing? What am I doing that may not be the best thing for me right now? And I say that, it seems so simple, but it is sometimes very difficult to do. Like life gets busy, life gets full, life gets distracting. Uh, sometimes you have to make an effort to take a step back and really examine your life. It says in Psalm 139, if you'd like to turn there with me. We were just there for the psalm reading. We're going to go to the last two verses of Psalm 139. I encourage you to take that time to look at our lives, to examine them, but on top of that, I would also encourage you to do what the psalmist says here in, in Psalm 139, starting in verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart, Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If you were to look at that in the New Living Translation, he says, see if there's anything that I'm doing that offends you, God. Excuse me. Share with me what offends you in my life currently. Show me what's going on that I need to remove. It's this practice, it's this discipline that's needed in our lives in order for to make sure that we don't fall into the same trap that the people of Israel fell into, a trap of getting caught up in the daily routine, the trap of not seeking the Lord, wondering, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me this week? What do I need to remove so that I might be able to hear from you better, so that I might be more effective for your kingdom? If there's anything that 2020 showed us, if there's anything that this week has shown us, it's shown us that the world needs the church. The world needs the church not just to exist, but to to act like the church. The world needs us to live for Christ, to share the gospel, to be in lives, not just by how we live our life. You know, I think there's a popular phrase where, you know, uh, share the gospel and when, when you can, use words. You know, and that's a great idea where, yeah, you should be living your life in such a way where it's attracting people to the gospel. But I would say it's not either or, it's both. Like, use your words and use your life to reach our nation that so desperately needs Jesus. But sometimes it's hard if we're caught up in taking care of the things that seem to be so in front of us all the time. For the people of Israel, if they couldn't build the temple, it makes sense that they would start rebuilding their homes. It makes sense they would start rebuilding the things that they could do. However, there wasn't this urgency or this desire, this, this thought of seeking the Lord, wondering when is it time to now refocus back on what you desire for us, Lord. So the Lord sent Haggai and he says, consider your ways. For us, not only considering our ways is a wise choice, but also inviting God into that process. Because I can consider my life, and I think we can all be guilty of this. I can say, you know, my life's doing pretty good. And then I invite God into it, and God's like, well, yeah, everything looks pretty good except for this. Oh no, Lord, it's okay. But When we invite God into it, he, he's the one who comes in without a bias, you know, without an agenda. I think sometimes I can go easy on myself. Uh, Well, it's just been a hard week. It's okay to let the devo slide today. It's okay not to necessarily reach out to so-and-so. I'm I'm tired. It's been a long day. The Lord's like, no, it's never okay. I desire you to live for me. That's what it means to be surrendered to me. That's what it means to be a servant. That's what it means to be a bond servant. The Lord did not like the direction and did not like seeing the route that Israel was taking. So he sent Haggai into their life to wake them up. He comes in with this word, but then, now pick up with me in verse 6. He's going to be naming off some things in order to connect with the people. to hopefully, as they're considering their lives, these things might connect with them. It says in verse 6, he describes, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Haggai then goes into this very descriptive way of life. You know, you could imagine them being farmers. He uses the analogy, hey, you've sown much. You put out a lot of seed. You planted a lot of seed, yet your harvest is very little. Like, you're drinking, but you're still thirsty. You're eating, but you're, you're still not full. You're wearing clothes, but they're not doing the job. They're covering you, but they're not keeping you warm. You're making money, but it doesn't seem like your money's lasting. It's being put in a pocket with holes, and for us and, and for them, what he's trying to do is he's trying to make this connection. Like, don't you see as you think about your lives, do these things connect with you? Do you see this in your life? And the Lord, knowing where they're at as a people, knows exactly that each of those things is gonna hit the people that are listening to Haggai right at the heart. They're gonna be connecting with him. They're gonna be saying, yes, that, that is what's happening. How do you know what, what's going on? How, wait, yeah, that is me. I have been showing, I have been working hard. I don't feel like I have enough. And we know that when our lives stray from the Lord, when we're not walking with the Lord, the world doesn't satisfy our needs. It just doesn't. It doesn't matter how much food you have, you'll still be hungry. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you'll still be wanting more. There's this aspect where when we don't have our lives prioritized in the right order, we're always going to be lacking because the world, what it provides us doesn't provide as much as it gives. It never provides what we need. We know that as believers, when we have God at the forefront of our lives, when we allow God to be the one who's leading, guiding, and directing us, that he is the one who provides for our needs by his riches and glory and his grace. Now, I'm not saying that you will have enough money to be a billionaire, but you might. I'm not saying that you're going to be eating at the fanciest restaurants, but I will say that you will eat and you will be full. You will be clothed and you will be warm. May not be the the name brands, the best things in the world, but you will have what you need because God is providing to you as his children, as his followers. But when we stray, when we start leaning on something that's not the Lord, when we start investing our lives in something that isn't God-blessed, we'll start striving and seeing small return for our great strife. All the work, all the amount, everything that we put into it, it just doesn't seem like we're ever getting enough back. You know, I think of uh, relationships in the way of when you're trying to prove a point to someone, and you can call it arguments, I call it heated discussions, but you have the best points. I mean, you have point by point by point in how you're going to make sure that the person that you're talking to understands when they leave the conversation, they will be as wise as you by the end of it. You're so confident. You go into it, and you start laying down the points, just boom. And at the end of the conversation, the other person just looks at you frustrated, upset, and not really sure why you just shared everything you shared. Because what you were sharing was not what God had desired for you to share. It was your own agenda. It was something that you were trying to prove that was apart from the Lord's plan for your life. Instead of gaining a friend or gaining a deeper relationship with someone, you've now separated yourself from someone And we know that as believers, we're called to be in the lives of others so we might share Christ. Yet, when we allow our agenda to take front and center of our life, we end up ostracizing the ones we're called to reach for the gospel. Some of us, uh, on the flip side, are are apathetic, like the people of Israel were. Uh, They lost their zealous. They lost their their desire. They lost their energy. They lost their emotion. They lost their excitement for the things of the Lord. And we kind of come into this uh, opportunity to reach someone or like, I really just don't feel like sharing the gospel with them. And that's not really how we think about it. Like, I don't think any of us would come up to someone and like, I really don't want to share the love of Jesus with them. I'm just going to go home today. No, that's not how it happens. It's, it's more like, man, I'm just really tired. I really can't answer the phone right now. Silence. Uh, I got a text at 1130 at night. I am in bed. Don't they know? It goes on silent at 10 PM. Goodbye. And we lose this urgency. We lose this zealousness for the Lord. We, we, we forget that God has put in our hearts a desire to not only honor Him and, and, and live for Him, but the things that have now distracted us, the things that have filled our plate, the things that have filled our mind are now deterring us from the very thing that God has called us to do. It's a dangerous place to be apathetic on, about the things of the Lord. It's a dangerous place not to reach out to those that need to hear from Jesus. But again, the Lord loves you. So he's not going to let you go far without hearing this. He's not going to let you go far without hearing how much he desires you to get back on track, how much your life has been missing because you've allowed yourself to stray. He'll send the Haggai's into your life. He'll send the comparisons that you need in verse six. But after, and this is what I love about the Lord, after he shares the problem, After he gives us the issue at hand, he then shows us how it connects to us. It's not just, oh, here are your problems. No, he then shows us, here's how it's your problem. And then he shows up with the remedy. So God never just says, hey, here's your problems, go fix it. This is how it applies to you. No, no, he always says, hey, here's the problem. Here's how it applies to you. But here's how you fix it. In verse, I think it would be in verse 8. Haggai gives them the easy way of how to fix this issue in their life. It comes through obedience. It says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins. While every one of you runs his own house or runs to his own house. Therefore, in verse 10, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. God brings His remedy. He says, hey, this is how you fix this issue. You need to go up and you need to go be about the things I desire you to be about. You need to go up to the mountain, you need to go get the wood, and you need to come back and build my temple. And then he goes on to show them, the reason you've been lacking so much is because I've been withholding from you the blessings. I think it's important for us to realize two things. One, God isn't punishing them. He's not coming down with a heavy hammer of judgment upon them. He's doing this, he's withholding these blessings to help them realize where they're at in life, to help them understand where they're at, how they're missing out on God's blessings. You see, when we're not faithful with the little that God has given us, He's not going to give us more. It's only when we're faithful with what He's given us that He would increase us. Now, I'm not saying that you might not get blessings upon uh, the time where you're not walking directly with the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. Sometimes He does. He gives over in abundance. However, in this situation, and many times in our lives, the Lord is going to withhold things from us that we would be enjoying if we were walking in line with Him. If we were walking farther not alongside him, not behind him, but if we were walking in the place in his steps, step-by-step with him, he's going to reveal to us the blessings that come with relationship with him. But when we get off track or when we start to to veer off into our own things, he's going to allow us to experience the chaos of our decision-making. He's going to allow us to feel What it's like to live a life without the blessings that God desires to give us when we're walking with Him. And it's not because He's trying to judge you, He's trying to reveal to you what you're lacking when you're not walking with Him. He loves you. It would be very, I would say, wicked of Him if He encouraged you in your sin. It would be very hard for Him to be a just God if He allowed you to continue enjoying the blessings of the relationship to its fullest extent. Now, again, I'm not saying that you're not enjoying them to an extent. There are blessings of God that will never be taken from us that we get to enjoy as believers. But there is a fullness of blessing. There are more things that God desires to give us as we walk in obedience with him. You see, the people of Israel, they came to a place where now they were no longer obeying God because they were allowing their excuses to veer them off, to bring them to a place of comfortably disobeying God by not building his temple. So God comes with a remedy through Haggai saying, you need to start building the temple. These are the things you've been missing out on. You've been missing out on all this blessing that would come from the ground, from the mountains, from the grain. The surplus that I desire to give you, I've been withholding in order to get your attention, to get you back on track. Since that didn't work for the last 16, almost 17 years, I now have sent Haggai to make it as clear as day to you what you've been missing out on. Now the people, much like we are at places at times with the Lord, we're at a decision point. The people were at a decision point. It's been laid out for them. It's been made very clear to them what they need to do. They make their decision. Pick up with me in verse 12. It says in Haggai chapter 1 verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. And in verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. They made their decision. After hearing after being spoken to, after having a messenger sent to them and explaining, they came to a place of understanding. I don't want you to be confused by that uh, last sentence in verse 12, where it says they feared God. They weren't afraid of God. What that's speaking to is a reverence of God. They came to an understanding of who God was. It clicked in their head. They came to this wonderful place of saying, I see it, I receive it, and I repent from it. That repentance led them to obedience that humility in, in accepting the hard word that Haggai came with love from the Lord in order to grab their attention. They received it, they obeyed, and they walked in that obedience. It started with the leaders. It started with Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, which is a crazy fun name. For those of you who are expecting a kid in the future, I've never met a Zerubbabel. I've met a Jehoshaphat, but I've never met a Zerubbabel. So in case you're wondering, that would be a great name. And then it goes to Joshua, also a great name, the high priest, But then it says some of the remnant. No, it says all of the remnant obeyed. They moved forward. What's great about that is after the Lord gives us the remedy and we choose to take a step in obedience towards the Lord, we get verse 13. Verse 13 says, I am with you, says the Lord. We're no longer veering off from God. We're no longer apart from God. In fact, now we're back in step with the Lord, with everything that he brings to help us accomplish the goal that he set before us. Which, I don't know about you, when God is with us, I'm pretty sure the Bible says, who can be against us? God was with them in their obedience. And now, the Bible doesn't speak about them fighting against, you know, 17 years earlier, against the ruling powers to to build the temple. But I'm pretty sure if the Lord was with them in the leading of them building the temple, he would have been with them in the continuing of the building of the temple. But instead, the the people decided to say no, and they moved on. 17 years later, now we see the obedience in verse 12, and we see in verse 13 that God was with them. I'm so thankful for a God who loves us, who willing to intervene in our lives in order to redirect us from the things that we've grown comfortable in, things we've grown complacent in, the things that we've grown apathetic in. He's willing to shake us up. He's willing to warn us. He's willing to wake us up. He's willing to get our attention so we don't miss out on the blessings he desires to pour out on our lives. But it does take some work. It does take some desire in our heart to consider our ways to take a step back and to look at what we're doing, how we're living, and to see if it lines up with what God desires from us. It does take us to invite the Lord regularly into our lives to check and see if there's anything that we're doing that might be offending Him, that might be restricting Him, that might be withholding His blessings from our life, that might be affecting others in our circle that He desires us to meet, to reach, to impact. It does take some work but what I love is not only does the Lord show us the problem, relate the problem to us, but then gives us a remedy, and then equips us to handle the problem, but then in verse 14, continue reading with me, it says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Not only does he do all of those things, but then he comes and he stirs up. He doesn't just equip you to to accomplish the obedience. He doesn't just equip you to accomplish the steps needed, but then he excites you about it. He gives you the motivation to do it. What I find interesting is that this is the last thing that comes. I often think, and this is a simple example, and I think many of you can apply these different things in your own life with your deeper uh, the things that you're going through in a deeper way that no one else really knows except you and the Lord. But a simple example is reading the Bible. The beginning of the year, we all start the plans in great hopes that we're going to finish all these great plans in January. Then comes the book Leviticus, and it slows many of us down. Some of us get through it, and we get to numbers. And then we get through, and it just it gets longer and longer. And you know we kind of lose the zeal we started for, the excitement of starting a new plan, getting closer to God this year, improving my relationship, But what's cool is that the Lord provides the stirring. He provides the motivation. And although naturally we will begin to get bored of reading day after day after day because it's just a part of our flesh, it does happen. You're not weird if that happens to you. It's a part of living on this earth. But you can take hope that if you continue into it, even in the times that it seems dry or even in the times where it seems more laborious, but you decide to do it in an act of or as an act of obedience you can be sure that the Lord is going to come alongside, not only equip you to do it, but also stir you up to continue, to give you a motivation. And that small application can be applied to so many other things. Where, yes, it may be hard to obey God in this direction. It may be difficult. You may face opposition. It may be extremely hard for you to maintain this speed for the Lord. But if you continue in obedience, even if you're losing some of the zeal, some of the excitement, The Lord says he'll come and he'll stir it up. He'll be the one to come and give you that excitement, that motivation, that energy, that zeal for him. He'll equip you to get the work done. Now, this isn't the only time that we see the word stirring. We actually see it a few times in the New Testament. You see in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, uh, let us consider one another to stir one another up in loving good works. You also see it twice in 2 Peter. You see it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. You also see it in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 1, where Peter's writing. He's saying, hey, I'm writing these things to stir you up, to remind you. I hope these things remind you to stir you up, to get you excited. And then in uh, chapter 3, he's saying, I'm writing this to stir the purity of your mind. And for us as believers, it's important not only to allow the Holy Spirit to stir us, but to stir one another, to be obedient, to encourage one another. You know when someone's not doing well, or you can see it on their face. But it takes a little extra to just ask them the question, hey, how are you doing? Well, they, they give you kind of a short, I'm doing good. All right. Next week, you see them still the same face. Hey, how are you doing? Really? They open up a little bit. Not enough, but they open up a little bit. The next week, you see them. Hey, how are you really doing? Let's, I want to follow up on, on what you shared last time. They open up a little bit more. And it gives you the opportunity, after three weeks of being obedient to the Lord, you now have the opportunity to speak life into them, to stir them up, to excite the spirit inside of them. Again, to encourage them in obedience and walking with the Lord. Haggai paints a great picture for us, not only of what we need to expect when we veer off from the Lord, but also who we need to be. There are many of us who are called to be Haggai this next year. There are many of us here that will be met by a Haggai later this year, maybe even later this week, or maybe even tonight. Tonight was the night you met Haggai. I apologize, but not really. I'm glad. Because the Lord desires to equip us for this next year. 2021 is a year that is really only nine days old. And for us, we have this decision, how are we gonna live it? How are we gonna spend it? Are we gonna be spent wasting it, you know, worried about our own agenda, worrying about the things that comfort us, building up our own homes, the things that interest us, the things that grab our attention? Are we gonna be distracted by the things of this world? Are we going to be in step with the Lord and what he has for us in 2021? 2021. Are we going to allow the Lord to lead us and guide us, to equip us and to motivate us for the things that he desires for us to accomplish? Because I can tell you right now, church, our, our world it needs it. Our world needs the church to be about the things of the Lord. We are the church and we're called to be about more than just our own comfort. We're called and given a life not to waste, but to live for Christ to its fullest extent. There's no reason for us to be toiling and toiling and sowing and sowing and reaping hardly anything. God has called us to do so much more, to be so much more blessed that we might be able to overflow and share those blessings with those around us. Why? So they might experience the love of Christ. Our country needs it. Our world needs it. But more importantly, we as a church, we need it. And it starts with us to stir one another up to follow after the Lord. It starts with us in our personal lives to take a step back and to consider our ways. To take and develop that discipline of asking the Lord, what do I need to release to you? What do I need to let go of so that you might redirect my life in the way that you're calling me to do? What am I missing out on? What am I doing that is offending you? And being ready for the answer. And right now, maybe the answer is nothing. Awesome, praise the Lord. But you're being called to be a Haggai. It's time to go speak into someone else's life. But first, before we're ever called to be a Haggai, the Lord first starts with us. He first starts in our own hearts, in our own lives, to prep us and equip us so we might be used for his good work. The Lord's ready to use us, church, but I pray that we're ready to be used. And as we examine our lives, as we allow him to speak to us, I guarantee you he will use us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for Haggai. We thank you for his obedience to bring a hard word. But Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you are not satisfied with just letting us go in our own direction, but that you pursue us, Lord, that you, you chase after us. You desire, Lord, to speak into our lives, to rescue us from our own chaos, to see us living at a, at a full extent, full of fruit, full of your blessing enjoying your presence. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. And I ask, Lord, as we leave tonight, that you would reaffirm in our hearts, not only your love, Lord, but remind us of how we're called to live. Lord, remind us of what we need to do in order to get back on track with you. Give us the boldness to step in in the lives, Lord, that are worthy to be able to step into someone else's and and point them back to you to speak, and to be your messengers in the world that we live in. You may be here tonight, and you may be, uh, this message was a little bit above and and over your head because you're at just the very beginning of your relationship with the Lord. It's at the beginning because it hasn't actually even started yet, but it might start tonight. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have the love of God, If you're not enjoying that on a regular basis, I want to tell you that Jesus, he died for you so that you might enjoy that relationship, that you might have that helping hand that directs you through life, that you might have a savior for the things that overwhelm you and the burdens that that really crush you. If that's you tonight, if you feel like you're being crushed under the weight of your mistakes, under the weight of your sins is what the Bible calls your mistakes, the things that have separated you from God, the things that have isolated you, the things that are weighing heavy on you. And you're like, I just need someone to save me. I'm here to tell you that that someone is not just a someone. His name is Jesus and he's God. And he loves you very much. He created you with a plan and a purpose. He came with a hope and a desire that you might know him so that you might enjoy what I was even speaking about earlier, the blessings that he has for you that are found in his word. It's not just some weird blessings up in the sky. You get to No, no, he gives you detail. He desires to give you peace. He desires to carry your burdens. He, he even asks for them. He says, cast your burdens. Give me your problems. Give me the things that are weighing you down. I want to bring that perfect peace. If that's you tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to start that relationship through a prayer. But I would like to see your hand go up so that I can pray with you. And it's really just so that I can see you. The prayer doesn't save you. It's just to introduce you to the God who loves you. What saves you is that surrendering of your life, saying, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. That repentance, that turning away, that receiving the forgiveness that God desires to give you. If that's you tonight, I want to give you some time. But I'd like you to raise your hand so that I might be able to pray with you and lead you in a prayer. That introduction to the Lord and to the God who loves you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? I see that hand in the back? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm excited for you because this is the best decision you could ever make in your life. It's something like this. You can pray it in your own words. You can copy exactly what I say. Again, it's not the prayer, but it's this understanding that you're surrendering your life to the God who loves you, the God who created you. It starts with just a simple Dear God, I realize that I'm a sinner, I'm a mistake maker, I'm imperfect. And my mistakes, my sins have separated me from you. I repent. I turn away from those things that have separated me from you. The things that have built burdens in my life that are currently weighing me down. I I turn away and I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I receive the love that you offered me through the death of your son, Jesus, on the cross. I believe not only that he died for me, but also to show that he was God, he rose again three days later to show that he conquered death. He conquered the ultimate consequence for my mistakes so that I might have a right relationship with you. I also believe, Lord, and I'm just about to learn it, that your word says that when I accept you, that I'm a new creation in Christ, that all things, the white clean, Lord, that there's a a fresh slate for me. And I receive that, Lord. I receive that restart. And I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen me with your Holy Spirit to live for you the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.